couple weeks ago, I was in Florida. I was on vacation down there um, with my sons and my son-in-law. It's a, it's a guy trip thing that we've done now for a long time. Scuba diving is, is what we do. I have a, I got a buddy who lives down in the Florida Keys and uh, it's, it's his house and his boat and I just go down there and sponge off him for a whole week. It's pretty awesome. And, uh, and then my boys got certified and then my son-in-law got certified to scuba dive and so it's become this, this annual trip. And uh, what we're down there for, and the reason we picked the first week of August is because it's lobster season. And uh, we literally go down on the bottom of the ocean, we capture, we catch lobster fresh, and, uh, and then we eat them that night. And uh, the lobster in Florida are different than Maine lobster. You can see they're what's called a spider lobster or spiny lobster. So all that's really edible on that lobster is that tail, but you can see it's a big piece of uh, lobster meat. And so we love it. Every night is, uh, well, every night was steak and lobster. <laughs> it was horrible. And, uh, <laughs> And, uh, and, and this is what we do. Now, what I'm going to show you next is I'm going to show you some footage from a GoPro of, of catching a lobster because it's, it's a little tricky, but my boys, uh, they have just absolutely mastered this thing. You go down with a net, all right, and you, you go with what, and I'm telling you it's called this, it's called a tickle stick. It's about this long, this <laughs> aluminum stick. You, and the, the lobster come up from the deep uh, at night, and then during the day they hide in the coral. They um, they slip backwards down into these holes. And so when you see a lobster in the, in the uh, coil, their antennas are way up high and that's how you spot them. You stick the stick in behind them, all right? And you, you tap them on their backside and they think something's behind them. So they'll come out of the hole. And the whole time they're coming out because they don't see well, they have their antennas out. And when you get them out far enough, you just drop the net on them and then you've caught them. Now, if you're a vegan or, um, uh, or you support PETA, you're not gonna like this. Here we go. <laughs> All right, now this is my son-in-law, Chris. And you can see there's a lobster coming out of the hole. Now watch. Boy, oh. And then you gotta move really quick because they can get out of the net, all right? And uh, right here on this, one, on this one rock, all three of my boys are going to catch lobster on this thing. Uh, and uh, Matthew, Mark's way in the background. That's my son Matthew there. Now he's found one and there he is in the net. And you grab him as quick as you can. And Oh, he just kicked me. Thank you, Matt. And, and this, is, this is lobster season. Look at him. Oh, doesn't he look delicious? And, uh, That's what they look like. I'll, I'll show you one more here. There's, there's, a, there's another footage. Look right in the middle of the screen uh, and you'll see the lobster. Look right in the middle. You see his antennas coming up there? Now see the, that's it. You, you draw him out and you drop a net on him. Now why I showed you all that there, if there's anyone who understands being trapped, it's Joseph in today's story. Joseph goes through a series of setbacks and entrapments that will that could break a lot of people's faith. There, there's a lot of people out there who, who have faith in God, but the minute the minute the heartaches and the hardships start coming in their life, they walk away from their faith. And, and so Joseph's story, even though it's in the book of Genesis, and it feels so much like this is a story about Joseph, like we're focused on Joseph, Joseph, Joseph. It's not about Joseph. This is actually a story about what God is doing in the background. Even in a 
season of setbacks. Talk about setbacks. Joseph was raised in a dysfunctional family. That's a setback. Joseph's mother died when he was very young. That's a setback. Joseph's father will show um, inconceivable favoritism on Joseph in front of all the other brothers. Uh, so much so that he will give Joseph this coat, which is a symbol of leadership. It's called a coat of many colors, but it's, he's setting Joseph up over all the rest of his boys. And, and Joseph uh, is like, you know, he's way down the line. You know, he's, he's not the oldest, not even close. And, and so the fact that Jacob did this is just inconceivable. And that ends up being a setback. The brothers will grow to hate Joseph, and that will be a setback. At some point, they will grab Joseph. They will strip him of that coat. Uh, they will throw him in a pit, setback. Along come some people on their way to Egypt to sell their goods. And these brothers do the unthinkable. They sell their brother into slavery. Big setback. Joseph is, is taken all the way to Egypt in chains. When he gets there, he's put on an auction block, and, and he's auctioned off to the highest bidder, and a man by the name of Potiphar buys Joseph and makes him a slave in his household. Big setback. While he's serving there in the household, um, Potiphar's wife will try to seduce Joseph. And I mean, I mean she, she comes at him with everything she has, and it's... Over and over again, Joseph turns her down. I mean, one right after another, after another, day after day, time after time, he says, no, 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 until one night she reaches out and she grabs him by his coat and he'll peel out of his coat and just take off running. <laughs> Which, when I read that this week, it reminded me, this poor guy cannot keep a coat to save his life. Just a thought. And, uh, okay, some of you are really confused. Ask the person next to you, they'll explain it. And, uh, <laughs> And, and so it's another huge setback because Potiphar has Joseph thrown into jail. And, and, and that's a little bit where we kind of pick up the story today. While Joseph is in jail, he meets two other people, a, uh, a baker and a cupbearer from Pharaoh's house. So whatever these two guys did to make Pharaoh mad, we don't know, but they're in prison right now. And these two guys have dreams, and when they had dreams, they're sharing their dreams with Joseph. And Joseph's like, well, I can tell you what those dreams mean. For the baker, it's not good news. <laughs> you're not going to get out of prison. You're going to die. Oh, my goodness. Horrible. But for the cupbearer, good news. You are going to get out of prison. You are going to be returned to your duties with Pharaoh. Uh, you're going to go back to the palace again. You know, it's good news. Just hang in there. And then Joseph asks the cupbearer, when you get back to, to the palace, would you remember me? And the cupbearer's like, oh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Well, when he gets back, when he gets out of prison and goes back to his duties, he forgets about Joseph for two years. Another setback. Setback, 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 setback. Some of you feel like that right now, like you're in this season of setbacks. Finally, in Genesis 41, Joseph is about to have a good day. And I got to tell you, as I've been reading his story, I am ready for God to do something in his life. What I wasn't ready for was the surprise of seeing that God was involved in his life all the way along. Not causing the pain, but using the pain to bring Joseph right to where he wanted him to be. I, I know that always doesn't always set well with us. Um, the Bible promises that, that all things work to the good for them that love the Lord. And even when you go through a setback, even when you go through a hurt or a pain, God can use that for something good. Satan is using it. He's trying to break your spiritual back right now. 
And if he can break your back and drive you away from, from faith, man, that would make him really happy. Joseph is finally about to have a good day, and it's all around dreams. You ready? We're in Genesis 41, starting verse 1. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile, this is his dream, when out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. Verse 3, after them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, <laughs> poor cows, came up out of the Nile, stood beside those on the river bank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek fat cows. Oh my goodness, cannibal cows, there it is. And Pharaoh woke up from his dream. Verse five, he fell asleep again. He had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin, scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy, full heads. And then Pharaoh woke up, and it had all been a dream. Verse 8, in the morning his mind, Pharaoh's mind, was still troubled. So he sent for all of his magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. All right. Way back in this time in Egypt, when a pharaoh had dreams, they were always treated as important. Because remember, pharaoh was seen as the image of God on earth. That's the way they viewed it. So if he has a dream, it's got to be some kind of, of spiritual message. Most of the time, it never had a message to it at all. But he had surrounded himself by people who were telling him constantly that his dreams were important. The one time the dream really is important, the one time the dream probably really did come from God... Nobody can interpret it. And it's at that moment, it's been two years, but the cupbearer finally, he's standing there next to Pharaoh, and he's going, hey, you know what? I met a guy in prison, and he was able to interpret dreams. And Pharaoh's like, bring this guy to me. Now, you can begin to see what, what God is doing behind the scene here. Because suddenly Joseph is called. Verse 15, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream that no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret. Do you see how much Pharaoh is putting on Joseph saying, it's you, you, you? But look what Joseph does. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he deserves, he desires. I love that even with everything that Joseph went to, through, he still has good God talk. Are you seeing that? He, he does it all the way through his story. Even though these bad things are happening, he doesn't take credit for anything. He always gives credit to God, and he maintains real positive God talk in his life. I like it when some of you, when, when, when I see you going through hard times or something, that you maintain good God talk. When I hear it most, and I'm just going to say this, just to, I, I'm not, this isn't a criticism, um, it's, it's just for, so you'll think about this for a moment. Sometimes on Facebook people say God is good. It's always after something good happens to them. What if something good doesn't happen? Does God, is God still good? It, am I just picking at something I shouldn't pick at? You know, I, I'm just making this up as an example, you know, hey, I got a pony, God is good. Well, what happens if you didn't get a pony? Would God still be good? No. And I'm not asking for a pony, by the way. 
although that would be cool. So here's, jo- here's Joseph, and he's saying, it's not, it's not me, it's God. And so he says, all right, tell me the dreams. And, Joseph, and Pharaoh says, okay, the dreams are easy. You know, big fat cows, skinny cows, the skinny cows eat the fat cows. Big, big heads of grain, little skinny grain, they eat each other. You know, this is the dream. Verse 28. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God, and here's the God talk again, has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt. That's good news. Man, there's so much abundance coming to Egypt. This will be great. Seven straight years of it. But seven years of famine will follow them. Uh Uh-oh, that's not good news. Then all the abundance of Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. That's Joseph telling Pharaoh, you had a dream, but a nightmare is coming and you need to prepare for it. And then Joseph lays out this whole plan of what he would do to prepare for this famine. During the seven years of of plenty, I would save, save, save. You better be storing up grain so that when the seven years of of famine come, uh, uh, the seven years of plenty will help carry us through the seven years of famine And when Pharaoh hears this young guy, he's only about 30 years old, laying out what his dream means and then giving him uh, uh, an answer as to how to get through the famine. In verse 39, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God, now wait a minute, now now here's Pharaoh giving God credit. Do you see what happened in an unbeliever's mind when, when we maintain good God talk even through our hard times? Even an unbeliever then starts giving God credit for good things. Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one more discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace. All my people are to submit to your orders. Only only in respect to the throne will I be greater than you. And Joseph is made second in command. Just an hour ago, he was in a dungeon. And that quick, he's made second in command. It is unbelievable. And so what Joseph does is he starts collecting all the grain he can. Uh, He puts it in these large grain bins all over Egypt. Guess what archaeologists have uncovered all over Egypt? Large, three stories high sometimes, sometimes stories deep inside the, the ground, grain bins. And they're all from this time period. Archaeological finds in Egypt have totally supported this story, even though we haven't uncovered the name Joseph in any hieroglyphics. Now, skeptics will use that to say the story of Joseph is untrue. We know that when Joseph went to Egypt, he was given an Egyptian name. All right. We also know that his family and his kids all had Egyptian names. And, and the fact that you don't find the name Joseph, do you realize that, I'm going to remind you of this, um, skeptics for years said that King David didn't exist. There, there was never a king in, Egypt, in uh, Israel named David. And they said that for years as a skeptic against the story of David in the Bible. And then somewhere around the mid-1980s, I think it was, they discovered a stone that talked about the household of David as king of Israel. And all the skeptics were silenced. <coughs> If you don't believe this story is true because the name Joseph hasn't appeared in Egypt, there's all this other support there for it. And these grain bins from that time, which, which the only reason for these massive grain bins all over the Egyptian uh, area is to have collected grain and then to have dispersed it. And that's exactly what this story tells us. Now, 
I just spent all this time talking about Pharaoh and Joseph and Potiphar and Potiphar's wife. And in the middle of all of that, we are reminded that this is a story about meeting our maker. What is God trying to reveal himself to you and I? And even in all of Joseph's setbacks, God was very much involved. The Bible says over and over again, the Lord was with Joseph. And when you and I go through setbacks, the Lord's with us. In Genesis 39, verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. That's Potiphar. From, that, from the time Potiphar put Joseph in charge of his household, of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. Even Potiphar recognized that God was blessing Joseph. The jailer also recognized it in chapter 39, verse 20. While Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness, granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. The warden paid no attention. Oh, by the way, he makes Joseph a trustee. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Even people around him could recognize that God was working. Satan was working double time trying to break the back of Joseph. And the whole time God was there. So what, so what do I tell my people who are going through setbacks? What do I share with you when you're having heartache and pain and disappointment? In sports, in sports it, it's a big deal to play hurt. It's very inspiring, by the way. There are athletes out there who dream of the day of winning the big game and doing it playing hurt. And some of the greatest athletes we've ever known have had to learn how to play hurt. <laughs> One of my favorite preachers, he's no longer alive, uh, from Lexington, Kentucky, Wayne Smith. Wayne Smith uh, tells a story of playing hurt that I've just always, always loved. It, it, it's a story of a referee named Tommy Bell and a, a defensive end named uh, Fred Arbanus. And this dates back into the uh, mid-1960s, all right? And Tommy Bell was refing a game uh, of the Kansas City Chiefs, and Fred Arbanus was playing. And Fred hit a guy so hard in the game that his eyeball popped out. <laughs> I know this is awesome right before lunch, isn't it? And... Uh, <laughs> And now, now listen, it, it wasn't a real eye. It wasn't until that moment that, that, that everyone around Fred discovered all at the same time that Fred had an artificial eye. Nobody knew it. The coaches didn't know it, uh, and Tommy Bell certainly didn't know it. And they found this artificial eye on the turf, and Fred picked it up, and he called the water boy over with the bucket, and he washed it off, and he popped it back in his head. And Tommy Bell is sitting there watching this giant of a man do this, and, and Tommy Bell, in, in, you know, who is very respected, he looked up at Fred and he goes, Fred, are you kidding me? He said, you are playing football with only one good eye. Why would you do that? He goes, my goodness, what would you ever do if you ever lost sight of that other eye? <laughs> and Fred Arpanis looked out, down at him and said, well, Mr. Bell, I guess I'd just become a referee. <laughs> You probably know what it's like to play hurt right now, too. There's a whole bunch of us here today, and we're just 
We're just trying to catch the next breath. We're just trying to get through the next moment. You've been in a season of setbacks and and you're wondering sometimes, God, what are you doing? Where are you at in all of this? The reason athletes do it, the reason athletes play hurt is because um, the party after the game, after the victory, is greater than their moment of pain. The victory and the party afterwards is always greater than their pain. And we're told that too in Scripture, that the party that follows this life will be greater than any pain you and I will ever face. That's why in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul writes in verse 17, For our light momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs all those problems. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, we are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed. You know, we don't always know what to do, but we're not in despair. Oh, we're persecuted sometimes, but we're not abandoned. We're even knocked down once in a while but we're not destroyed. We get back up, ladies and gentlemen. We keep our patience. We keep our faith in God. We keep trusting God. And even in the middle of a series of setbacks, we, we do not walk away from our faith. Some do. Maybe there's somebody here today that you're, boy, you're right on the edge. You're tempted. If one more bad thing happens to me, I'm walking away, God. Now, that'd be a mistake. Even through all of those horrible chapters in Joseph's life, the last chapter hadn't been written yet. There's one more chapter in your life, too. And when you get to that chapter and you take that last breath, you're going to want to be connected to God. So in the middle of all those heartaches, in the middle of all those setbacks, you just keep trusting. God's comeback for you is greater than your setbacks.